I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. So, uh, Sam, Hi. you're joining us. Hi, how's it going? Going good. Now, now something has happened that I didn't, I did not expect. I, <laughs> you, let's just say that it's fair to say that you, during the time that I have known you, have been Star Trek skeptical. I, Star Trek averse. Um, I think skeptical is more appropriate than averse. I would still call myself pretty Star Trek skeptical, but I've, I've kind of, uh. I've kind of had a rapprochement over uh, with it over the last few years, and I've been keeping it to myself because uh, I'm afraid of what would happen if I became public with that in with that knowledge. Like if people started <laughs> knowing, if people knew how much. I mean, Casey, we've known each other for a long time. I mean, uh-huh. what percentage of Star Trek jokes do I get? Most of them, right? Like Most of I them. know the universe, I know the history, I'm yeah. familiar with it. Um, of of your major blockbuster, you know science fiction franchises it's probably the one i know the best i know it a lot more than i do star wars especially after um a number of star wars movies that i've just neglected to see yeah like five have come out in the last seven or so years yeah and i haven't seen any of them um and uh uh <laughs> what you're clearly not their audience. I am not their audience <laughs> and i never really was their audience <laughs> right. but i i had a chip on my shoulder uh I'll, for a long time, because I, I'm, I'm an avid science fiction reader, uh, or was an avid science fiction reader. I, I've kind of curtailed on that in the last few years as I've, I do more stuff. But, you know, I'm reading uh, Asimov's robot novels or, or Foundation or, you know, everything Arthur C. Clarke did, uh, which was well beyond just the Kubrick film, of course. And, you know, and I wanted to see some of this stuff on... Um, on on the screen, either on television or on, in the movies, and uh, and and growing up, wars are trek, wars are trek, wars are trek, yeah. wars are trek, and it it, uh, and even as good as DS Nine and and TNG are, they still had a bunch of Monster of the Week episodes and stuff like that, and so it it got on my nerves, and and it 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 made me kind of anti trek for a long time. But uh, now that I now that I know I live in the um, dystopian nerd victory timeline, yeah, uh, which is what kind of what I'm calling it. Um, now there's 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 a- ample money for all sorts of cool science fiction stuff all the time. Science fiction everywhere. Science fiction all over the place. I don't have to worry about this so much anymore. So now I can t- I can take a look back and say, hey, actually, Star Trek was pretty good. Yeah. Or or I can be more honest and say I was just kind of a hipster when I was a teenager and just go from there. Oh, because you're a you're a Babylon Five guy. I am huh? a Babylon Five guy because I I actually the 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 Trek Wars thing is obviously a false choice in, yeah. in every way. Not only the fact that there's only two, but also that you can't. Isn't all that like true of every duopoly though? <laughs> <laughs> that there's a better version. You know, it's like you know I can admit I like RC a little bit better <laughs> than yeah. uh, than Coke or Pepsi. I, I guess you could say you know railing against duopolies has been kind of the entire basis for our for our shared podcasting career in a sure. lot of ways. Yeah, we're always a th- weird, or, a less popular third choice. Yeah, <laughs> or just just anti orthodoxy, right? Right, anti orthodoxy. There is, there is yeah. a terrible 
faithful orthodoxy to sci-fi on television that is Star Trek. And so I can obviously imagine how you'd be like, well, every every other nerd knows all of the Star Trek episodes mm-hmm. by heart. I don't necessarily need to be that nerd. Right. You know? I, I yeah. would say that as far as Star Trek goes, I am about as hardcore a Star Trek fan as you can be without being a dedicated Star Trek fan. Right. Like, I've never been to a Star Trek convention, though I'd like to. They're um, a lot of fun. I've seen most episodes of Star Trek. There's some shows that I have a big blind spot on. And I will say this. Uh, you haven't crossed over the part where you're writing Star Trek slash fiction, though. No. That's the no. line. To that's, me, that's the line. Because you can make a costume. Once you get to the area of that, the you get to hide on the little... Uh, nooks and crannies on the internet is like that's when you know you're that kind of fan. Well, when when there's some kind of which is fine by the way. I'm not I'm not throwing shade on no, erotic no. fiction writers. Do it if you want to. I think that's, um, that's I, a lot, another level of dedication. It's, I think. A, it's when you're you're burning calories and doing craft to to, to love something. Yeah, right. Um, I have to really. I mean, I don't have the artistic skill that it would take to do that. I don't know how to make a costume, and I'm consistently wowed by people who do elaborate, screen accurate costumes from all sorts of franchises. Mm-hmm. I you can see the love there, and I I get that. I get loving something that much. Can I just have a brief aside here? Because I just watched Galaxy Quest for the first time in probably 15 years, about a month ago, and uh, I didn't know this about this. So there's the the film is bookended by the convention because they all uh, they all go to conventions, and that's how they still know each other. And apparently. The producers invited a bunch of people who were mostly Star Trek fans to be convention fans in this universe, but this contains no references to Star Wars or Star Trek at all. They expunged it so it wouldn't be like this This Galaxy Quest was versus Star Trek or something. Um, and they asked some of the fans to make their own costumes um, that would be like an alien or a member of this universe without actually telling them any guidelines. So there is a fair number of of extras that are in the convention scene that are dressed up as sort of show appropriate costumes that a cost cosplayer would have. And it's brilliant. I had to pause the the thing to look at them and I'm like, this somebody like spent a hundred hours to come up with this because they were gonna spend three days in a warehouse somewhere on a convention scene. Really impressive. Yeah. You can always trust they fans. were fans for yeah. a non existent show. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. great. But I think everyone <laughs> always kind of wants to make up a monster. Yeah. I think it's just fun. Especially your like your guideline is okay. This is a fake TV show that was on probably during the eighties. Uh, so kind of work from that designed mindset. And someone is like, I got something. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people love that kind of that kind of idea, which is you put a limitation on it uh, that allows you to think of a certain style. And that's the sort of thing the creative person kind of really thrives on, which is doing. It's like the same thing. Create a bad guy from a nineteen eighties action sci fi film. And I think, or um, like an 80s slasher monster, come up with right. your version of that. And I think somebody would just have a lot of fun with it. And the sort of, that's the way nerds are. We'd probably come up with our own synthy sounding theme song to the movie that <laughs> oh, doesn't totally. exist. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just fun. But like there's a there's actually a bit of a of a like a fight, not a fight, but like a like a, a fun argument going on in the uh, Dune uh, shit posting community right now because the Dune logo that everybody thinks is the Dune logo, yeah, uh, that got pulled. And some fan made that. That wasn't. That's not anything official. Yeah, we, and so <laughs> you want to talk about fake news? Yeah. Nobody has it on. <laughs> nobody has fake news the way fan communities do yeah. because. 
we are just we are inundated with all these bullshit clickbait fan sites and sometimes the big news thing that gets you to click is oh my god do you want to see this thing where you know like you know Oscar Isaac is playing Duke Atreides and it's like <laughs> it's not actually him in costume it's yeah. a thing that a picture of of Oscar Isaac that somebody photoshopped to look like Duke Atreides it's fan art but we're treating it like it's a news thing so you can make fucking money on it so <laughs> it's it, that's just what we are is that fans are always excited to create that stuff or or the sci-fi uh, news YouTube channel with a random still from a movie with a big red arrow pointing to nothing in particular <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's my favorite we gotta cash in I mean that is just the, the worst parts Speaking of the internet of, of cashing in uh, we're circling the drain as to what we're talking about I can't tell you how many times over the past year I've seen just the headline of the title and like one of the little screenshots of a YouTube video that was about Star Trek Picard production in trouble, like because they want oh, you to really? click on it because there's been some rumor that oh it's not you know oh Patrick Stewart is backing out and I I swear to God I think I probably saw three or four of those. Does it was it true? No. <laughs> is it, has there ever been <laughs> a production true. that isn't troubled nowadays? <laughs> right. Anything bad happens at all? Ah, oh, craft services was ten minutes late. Oh, this this production is gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> everything has reshoots. So yeah. if we're gonna be honest, everything has reshoots because sometimes you shoot two images that are supposed to go together and they don't quite match. Right. So we gotta fix the actor's haircut and put oh, the man. set back together. The, CG a mustache out. Yeah. The guy I mean, the guy exactly who did, directed is. the Shazam movie had a great sort of video rebuttal about all of the fan assholes. Like cinema sins, pointing out all of the stupid shit in there, and it was you know some of them was like some of them was like yeah there was a shot that has the, that had the crew standing in the background because we were so focused on getting Shazam to look like he was starting to jump and starting to fly that we just didn't pay attention to this part of the frame until later and we had to CGI uh, shopping bags on the crew like on the crew cases and stuff you know like it's totally fascinating because fans want to believe that every thing is a clue like a deliberate clue it was everything was intentional we've and all some, become conspiracy theorists yeah, to that extent yeah. sometimes it's just like somebody made a fucking mistake because films are imperfect yeah and they have to do weird stuff to try to get it to work i, I used to call myself a bit of a mon monastic fan of science fiction in that i had a very you know i was very interested in science fiction and i was quite interested in talking to people about it but i never felt myself like a as a part of any major or significant community i didn't play in the reindeer games. I mean, part of that was economically based. Part of that was just lack of knowledge on my part. But as I as I came, you know, as I started growing up and becoming an adult, I'm like, wow, there's this huge fandom and this huge community you know, that I can be a part of. And for a few years, I'm a part of it. And now I'm kind of like, wow, no, I think I'm going to go back to what I was doing when I was a kid. It's like no. there's this weird element of almost conspiracy theory yeah. where things that are just things become, oh, that's a clue. Yeah, that's right. It's like you're looking for it's like some obelisk in like you know, San Diego has something written in Latin and people are like, oh, that's just proof that the Illuminati are blah, blah, blah. We're doing that with trailers now yeah. where we're just like, oh, that's just proof right there. This is a reference to this or this or this. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And there's just so many false positives that I think this is the problem we've talked about before. It's why one of the things that we like to do and don't always obey is the idea of once you've seen enough trailers to decide whether you want to see it, just stop. Yeah, because we I mean, you think the presidential election goes on for a long time. <laughs> um, we're watching bits and pieces of teasers for other teasers for eventual trailers. Yes. And we're picking these things apart like the fucking Zabruder film. <laughs> hey, but you know what? There is now justice for Han. 
So yeah. come on, Mike. I was, there is good left in the I, world. I was so fucking shocked at that. I have the the, the, the last. That's the the only time in recent does, memory. Does Sam even know what the fuck we're talking about? I have no. That's clue. great. Okay. That's awesome. So <laughs> do you, you want to no, know? You don't need to know. We can just um, say uh, for the purposes Bravo. of of yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. For the purposes we of this episode, you, <laughs> is it good to be informed or not? I think it's probably more fun if because I it's thinking ah uh, so it's from the Fast and the Furious franchise, a franchise that we both were highly skeptical of. For one character from one movie who gets killed off at the end, okay. and and there there has been a, He's a, a hashtag Justice for Han movement <laughs> movement that is going on on the internet for a very long time because people think that character was unfortunately treated. Okay, and it looks like things are being rectified. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, wow. so a lot of people are happy when they see Justice for Han trending on Twitter. Everyone thinks, oh my God, is Han Solo alive? And it's like, no. no. Is, is Fast and the Furious like the best fandom or? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I've never seen a Nazi Fast and Furious fan. Yeah. And that's a rare thing these days. Everybody, yeah. everybody has that person who... I don't know. I don't know. Every fandom has this sort of toxic barnacle, let's mm. just say. The tox- and this is what I used to say when I worked on presidential campaigns. Like, uh, th- you know, in 2008. Not, not less like a barnacle, more like just crotch rot, more like chlamydia, well, I, I mean, would it, imagine. It, it, a barnacle it's a disease that kills the host. It is. What I mean in terms of a barnacle is that a barnacle is a thing that attaches itself to something and lives off of it and doesn't contribute anything. Right. And what you see on YouTube a lot are people that are getting the hate clicks to scream about how SJWs are ruining Doctor Who until one day they're ruining Star Wars, they're ruining Marvel, they're... They're yeah. ruining, you know, it's like, what is the next thing? And they all seem like in true 1984 fashion to all change over on the same day about what they hate. And <laughs> not, they, not unlike the LaRouches at every presidential election. Yeah. There's just yes. another person with a Hitler mustache. And <laughs> right. it's just, there's a moment where you're like, okay, this is just really fucking annoying. I have not seen that with the Fast and Furious franchise. I bet you there's some douchey fans. I, I expect that the the most of the toxicity in the in the Fast and Furious community would be at the overlap between uh, fans of the movie and car culture. Because yes. car culture can get pretty damn bad. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's a sort of there. I think a lot of fans of Fast and the Furious... Um, love the big, crazy, absurd action. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing that I think grounds the Fast and the Furious is the fact that you have this incredibly diverse, multiracial cast of people that are all in on the sort of family th- family theme of the series. That they, it's it's weird because it's hokey, it's ham fisted, it's not subtle. But everyone is just coming at it with 110% sincerity, and it works despite itself. And I think that's what makes that series kind of work, and it's probably what helps keep the Nazis out. I also have this – I believe that the reason why part of it works so well is that people who are – who wouldn't have been – who wouldn't have 10 years ago been your traditional kind of Hollywood action directors like Justin Lin and F. Gary Gray are people who – direct those series and so they have a sensibility that's probably a little more receptive to the rest of the world than your average like tony scott yeah you know i can imagine a a, a fast and the furious style made by tony scott that a justin lynn 
knows how to do something different that might appeal to a- another audience. You and know? I think the other thing of the Fast and the Furious, uh, one, it's, it's not based on anything so that they can shape it or change yeah. it based on how they feel or what fan response is. Um, like, for instance, I think that actors in that series are given a lot of uh, ability to shape the direction their characters go in. Like, you look at The Rock, uh, the character of Luke Hobbs has become more and more like Dwayne Johnson mm-hmm. as the series has gone on. He started out as sort of a Nick Fury crossed with the Tommy Lee Jones character in The Fugitive at first. But now he is kind of this over-the-top, you know, the rock turned to 11 where he's the single dad of a little girl who's got a soccer team and he's super into helping that team get to the championship. <laughs> uh, but he'll also, uh, you know, that's literally a plot in this crazy car movie game. Yes, it is. And then later in movie. that same movie, he catches a torpedo with his bare hands and throws it in a truck. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I mean, so, I mean, that's kind of what we're working with. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's car is sort of like the encapsulation of their personality. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you see that kind of stuff where, you know, Vin Diesel is really into this kind of like family thing. And where there's a lot of scenes with big muscular men holding babies and smiling. And, and there's moments that are just so sincere. Nice. That, well, they, they, that and also everyone, if they're in proximity to a car, they're functionally immortal. Oh. As soon as they leave a car or not are involved with a car, they are vulnerable. But as long as they are in a car, on a car, off the side of a car, and dangling from a car, they are immortal. If you, they cannot die. If you fall 10 stories but you hit a car, that car just saved your life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing to understand with this series. It's, it's absurd and it's crazy, but it means everything that it says, even if sometimes what it says is kind of stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just oh, has- it, it It's very a, stupid. It's very stupid, yes. but it's got such heart. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've, I've been kind of weirdly um, evangelical about the Fast and Furious franchise ever since, you know, I was, I was brought, I've been walking with Dom for <laughs> a couple years now. Um, Did you remember the times when there was only one set of footprints in the sand? That was when Dom was carrying you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's been a series that I have the same exact experience every time, which is that Somewhere I was- Somewhere Vin Diesel has an erection and doesn't know why. <laughs> oh, yeah. Constantly. Um <laughs> All the time, but yeah, yeah, Dom has room in his heart for all of us. Um, <laughs> so what I what I really love is that it's a series that I reenact how I came to Fast and the Furious yeah. every time I tell somebody about Fast and the Furious because they make the exact same face that I made <laughs> because I was like, oh, those are the douchey car movies, yep. and they are, but they're not just that. Um, the, I've heard the second one, Too Fast, Too Furious, uh, being described as endearingly douchey. Okay. <laughs> and it kind of is. Um, but yeah, I get kind of evangelical, and then it feels like I have to convince this person who's humoring me that they might want to try this series. Um, if you've ever wanted to see a movie where uh, The Rock is holed up in a hotel room, not a hotel room, he's in a hospital bed uh, with a cast on his arm because he was beaten up by um, Jason Statham at the beginning of the movie. Mm. And he sees explosions on the horizon out in Los Angeles and knows his friends are in trouble. And he pops a couple pain pills and flexes so hard that the cast explodes off of his arm. (laughs) Hijacks an ambulance and takes out a drone with it. (laughs) Then you might enjoy this series. And I like to believe, Sam, that at some point, somewhere down the line, where your defenses are down, I could convince you to see a Fast and the Furious I'm not fully convinced yet. I mean, that sounds amazing. But that 
that sounds like something you watch on YouTube when when you're modified, not something I want to sit down and watch. The what is it? The eighteen movies we're on now. The, the nine. It's they're doing nine. Well, they've done nine because there's a spinoff because Vin Diesel and The Rock can't be in the same room together now. No. Oh, really? Jeez. Oh, That's god, so yeah. It's it's gotten bad, and we, I guess I'm kind of hoping that Mom and Dad will make up at some point by the time they finish the series out, but. That's there's like nine movies, including the last spinoff one. I think the next one. Also, the titling of the movies are just all over the place in terms. Of, the first one is called The Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and the Furious colon Tokyo Drift, right? Fast and Furious, Fast Five, Fast and Furious Six, Furious Seven. Fate of the Furious, and the next one is going to be called F9, <laughs> which I think is a, uh, I think is a macro. Yeah. <laughs> it causes the screen to clear and then yeah. word search. And yeah. a, a lot of people are saying, oh, what can this series do that they haven't so far? And there's a guy on uh, YouTube, I forget, I want to give him credit for this, who has said, I think it's Patrick Willems, who's a YouTuber I really like, has said, what does this series have to do yet? They need to do time travel and call it the past of the Furious. <laughs> yeah. Have they done space yet? They no, haven't done space. That, that was my prediction in the panel, actually, is that Dom will like re-enter orbit in a car. Yeah. He'll be in a space station and he'll drive his like muscle car down through the atmosphere and then somehow <laughs> land. I, I mean, there's a car in space now. That that's the plot. They have to. There's something like important in the car that they have to go get. Yeah, Dom is just super powered when it comes to cars. Uh, he makes a cameo at the end of Tokyo Drift, and he's in a drift race in a tightly compacted uh, parking garage, and he's about to drift in a muscle car. Yikes. Yeah. And the thing is, I know he's going to win. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's the power of Dominic Toretto. <laughs> is that he will he will say something in a growly voice. He even has a last name. He does. Okay, I just Dom. He's Dom. Okay. It's weird we all call him by his nickname. Like he's our friend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also I'm very proud of the fact that um you can with most uh Fast and the Furious movies you can tell that InBev has going to slide in a product placement for one or two specific varieties of beer. Oh. And you can count on it as you could count on the sun rising every day. It's, so, it's Corona and NOS are your two product placements. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, now it could be uh, Elysian or Ten Barrel. Well, <laughs> they even they even make a joke in the, previ- no, it was the previous one with Kurt Russell. They even make a joke where they actually bring a character out, Kurt Russell out, to say, you know, beer isn't just, if I'm paraphrasing here, of yeah. course, you should try this Belgian inspired blah 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 it's great they functionally just create a commercial for i don't know which one it is some one of the other lines that right. the inbev owns because they need to diversify the audience other than just coronas but the, the people amazing. that show up in these movies are great the fact that we have gotten a bunch of people from game of thrones have shown up um <laughs> charlie russell charlie's their own charlie's their you just own. said yes. kurt russell and i'm like i'm waiting for you to correct yourself and say it's actually somebody else no it's <laughs> no. kurt russell it really is kurt now you have my attention and uh also um <laughs> there's sort of a crime family that has sprung around First, it was the character of played by Luke Evans in part six. Right. Then his brother, who wants revenge, played by Jason Statham in seven. And, and then in eight, their mother, Helen played Mirren. by Helen Mirren. <laughs> yes. And Helen Mirren is doing a Jason Statham working class accent, and it's spectacular. <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah, okay. It's great. She has a cameo in uh, Hobbs and Shaw where he, he's visiting his mom in prison, and it's clear she could break out anytime she wants, <laughs> but is just kind of bored. <laughs> It's, so, <laughs> it's pretty great. I mean, it's about family. It's, it's yeah, all about, it's family. about family. family. It's about family. It's about family. 
family and 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 cars that will never explode under any circumstances. Oh, not until you need them to. There, right. if you want to see a car chase with a tank, a super tank that's going like sixty miles an hour in this <laughs> franchise, you want to see people jump out of the back of a bomber plane with parachuted cars in this franchise. If you want to see. Uh, Paul Walker fight a parkour ninja while surfing down a flight of stairs on a door. Jesus fucking Christ, Mike. Just give me the tract already. <laughs> okay. See, that's what, that's what it's like. It is. It's, and it feels like it, you're in this place where you kind of have to convince people these things are actually fun. I I mean, I think I just kind of begrudgingly agreed to do the panel episode we did. I think mm-hmm. neither of us had seen it. Oh, God. I, could, I can see it now. It looks like the title to an Audi R8. And then, and you're like, oh, is this is this a free R8? And then you pick it up and flip it over. And have you been saved by family? <laughs> have yeah. you accepted Dom into your heart? <laughs> this decision could change everything about you. I totally see this. It is. It's, yeah. It's this weird. This needs to be made. Because it, you, it's weird because when you talk about this, you feel like you're a crazy person trying to prove you're not a crazy person. Yeah. No, I, you, listening to you guys talk about it, I, I, I completely see why you're into it. I'm not... I'm not like I oh, no, 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 this is just like this is just blatant hipsterism or something like that. No, I I, I can see the genuine interest and and stuff like that, and I can see, like I I see multiple entry points for 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 why you keep up on it. But yeah. I'm just I'm not wholly convinced yet. <laughs> I mean, I get it, and if I would just make one argument, um, the one argument oh, just is just one, just one, just one. In part five, there's a scene where they steal a vault by hooking cables from their car and dragging this massive safe across the streets of was it Sao Paulo? Yeah, or, I think so. Or it's it's in Brazil, but um, they are dragging this safe around, not only stealing it but using it as a weapon to take out cop cars. <laughs> that safe was actually a practical car that someone was inside of it driving i just want that car they just cgi the <laughs> wheels off of it that's amazing and he's driving it looking at a at a, at a monitor inside yeah. of that thing <laughs> it's it's crazy shit like that it's a crazy shit franchise and i love it and and it's it's weird i it's a superhero franchise disguised as a car franchise yeah i can see that all right mike so, we got to pull the trigger on this I, i'm up on the mountain Yes. About what? About seven, eight months ago now, and uh, I, I, I'm keeping away from people. I'm, I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm in seclusion for a couple of weeks before the camp season starts, I think, and uh, and I'm just, you know, dorking around on YouTube, probably watching regular car reviews or something, and uh, uh, and the trailer for Picard drops. Oh, mm. and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'll click on it. All right, let's see. And I watch it, and I go, cripes. I want to see this. You want to watch Star Trek? I want to watch Star yeah. Trek. Like, I really want to see this. This looks good. Um, and not only that, because, like, there's... <clears throat> I give off a certain vibe, or I cop to a certain look. And and so uh, people, I, I you know, when I was a kid, I, I would, like, people, I would be in the same kind of groups of people and I would have Star Trek fans always somewhere if I just put my hands out around me I'd probably hit a Star Trek fan whether I wanted them to be there or not um and so I got to watch a lot of uh, a, a lot of Star Trek uh, next generation which is where my ire come initially came from but I remember the last episode and I remember the last episode of TNG being quite good and so like the literal like the trailer picking up kind of literally where uh, the last episode leaves off, or the last was it? Was it two, or was it just one long one? 
of TNG. It was a big. It was either a two parter or an extra long one. I think it's it was. Been a, it was up. a double that's been cut up basically yeah. Yeah. into two. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, okay, picks up. Like, okay, this is definitely Picard, and and uh, and and it seemed to be very character driven, and and I'm just like. Uh, okay, this looks like nothing Star Trek has done recently. I'm into this. I'm gonna watch it. So, like, I made the decision to watch this months ago, and I and I and I told no one because <laughs> you don't want the hard sell like the Fast and the Furious yeah, I don't, thing. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want your literature. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're an easy mark. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna bring out my suitcase full of brushes now. But yeah, I get that. I get that. But I, uh, so I, you know, like I do, I say, hey, have you seen the trailer for Picard? Uh, And you guys were way more hesitant than I was to watch it, it seemed like. Well, there's been a lot of reboots where characters are, or actors are jumping into a character they haven't played in like 20 something years lately. Yeah. There's a lot of reunion show stuff and there, there's a spotty history with that. Right. Because a lot of times, and I've heard this on on the internet referred to as lore movies, where it's more about uh, revisiting old friends and making references to things that hardcore fans like. And there's usually a lot emphasis both from the people making it, but also from the fans themselves of it actually having to be really good. It's just about getting to meet your old friends again. Right. And I see that play out badly a lot, so it makes me a little gun-shy. Yeah, and I, neither of you guys have seen any of the Star Trek Discovery, so there is a trajectory of n- sort of the new age of s- the new age of Star Trek that is uh, playing out now on CBS All Access because it's this is its own separate domain from even the J.J. Abrams movies, and there's a consistent set of producers and creatives that are sort of guiding what Star Trek on TV is doing, and it's a very, very much a, obviously very much a departure from. Enterprise or Voyager were the last time people would have seen Star Trek. And for a lot of people like me, it was really slow going in the first part. They make a lot of... There's also such polarization around uh, Discovery that I hesitate to just come down too hard on it. Um, It just doesn't doesn't hold my interest in the same way that the old one was, maybe because I like kind of the slow, boring, character-driven sort of pieces that Star Trek used to be with a little action and sci-fi mixed in there. Um, that it sort of attracts a different, it's not even attracting a different audience, it's just playing to different sensibilities for how TV in the 21st century behaves, I mean, different yeah. from TV in the 90s behaves. That was a big part of it, and I know I've talked to both of you about this, and I think I've even mentioned this on the show, is that television doesn't look the way that it does in the 90s. There's no. still a couple multi-camera sitcoms on CBS. Like, The Big Bang Theory is shot in a way similar to Seinfeld. But that's rare nowadays in television that a show still looks that way, where nowadays the sort of HBO, Sopranos, Deadwood, um, Battlestar Galactica look has fully taken root. And Star Trek was last on television in 2005. And things have changed a lot visually since then in terms of how we do science fiction. And if Star Trek hadn't been canceled with Enterprise, maybe we would have seen that change happen gradually. But we didn't because it's been off of TV and now it feels like there's this big change. Well, I I think also this is Star Trek benefiting from uh, I I have this fan theory, which I'm not ready to get into now. But I I would say you don't get Battlestar Galactica unless you had Babylon 5 Mm -hmm. uh, that showed that darker, um, that less utopian science fiction 
that takes place in sort of a harder universe like Star Trek does, there's room and there's space for that, and you can make that work. But it's also more serialized. It's also more serialized, and there are character and there are clear character arcs throughout the entire series, and there's clear plot arcs throughout the entire series. And then so so Babylon Five was like, yeah, you can do this on TV, and it works. And then BSG was like, well, this is how you do it, and like this is going here's a this is just how we do tv now yeah Yeah. and now and and so i think you have science fiction getting that from like sort of two ends as well but i also kind of wonder between because they're still making discovery right that's still a thing that is happening yeah Yeah. i think it's going for season three at least is this the action morality play bifurcation of star trek made manifest is that what we're seeing here it is kind of like the idea of discovery being um Discovery being the stepchild of the J.J. Abrams movies, not just stylistically, but in terms of the pace, the clip at which it it, it moves and the type of stories that it wants to tell um, and the way that it doesn't it doesn't doesn't seriously want to be a series of callbacks to regular canon because they kind of want to be their own thing. Um, so it seems more of like a stepchild to the movies and less of a continuation of the old Brennan, Braga, Berman sort of right. sort of stuff. And that's yeah. where that's where Picard starts, right? I mean, there has been three movies uh, in the sort of J.J. Abrams sort of universe. There's been Star Trek Discovery. And you've got finally, for the first time in 20-something years, you have a continuation on that timeline in a series that has been so averse to looking at the future that we keep going back and setting stuff in the past. Yeah. There's been a lot of nostalgia. Um, mm. I'm not saying it's all bad, but there's definitely, we want to we reference Spock. We want to reference Kirk. We want to talk about Captain Pike. And that's the thing about Discovery, hearing about it, that actually sounds kind of intriguing, which is Captain Pike has barely been a character in Star Trek. No, so he's a plot point. There's a lot of stuff to fill in with him right. in terms of making him a character that he appears in uh, two episodes of original Trek. And as a character, mo- the most he gets to be a character is Bruce Greenwood in the J.J. Abrams yep. movies. Yep. Right. But um, apparently Captain Pike is pretty awesome. He, he is on- the most Star Trek character out of all of the characters in that entire series. And I think that's kind of cool. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a big blank space to fill in there. But part of me is frustrated that, you know, I'd rather not plug in holes in canon rather than just kind of move forward and i think what picard does is give us that opportunity that we've had this huge chunk of time without star trek and now we get to jump ahead in the timeline and see what maybe the 25th century is like and the the way that when you first started star trek the next generation and suddenly there's a klingon on the bridge um, we can do that again we don't have to explain it right away we just know that something has changed um, sometimes it's just as simple and this is what I'm kind of hoping maybe we just see a Cardassian member of Starfleet and yeah. nobody makes a thing out of it that would be that would be pretty cool I mean who was uh, I, I don't want to get too much into spoilers but this is pretty early in the first episode is you know who's who's helping Picard tend to his vineyard Romulans Romulans, or Romulans. Yeah. and that's like oh okay I'm yeah. down yeah yeah know? in TNG we've almost gone to war with them like 10 times yeah and it's, it's definitely been a change. And I kind of like the idea of using all parts of the buffalo, to, so to speak, with, you know, we have the J.J. Abrams movie that had Spock come from the main timeline into the new timeline. And you're like, well, the thing from the main timeline that happened was Romulus blew up. Let's use that. Right. And that's kind of cool. I like the idea of, of using that and saying, well, what would happen if a major power suddenly didn't exist anymore? 
what would happen? How would we respond? R- Romulans become the alien trash of the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like we, we get to go in the, the, the route that Star Trek VI did with the Klingons yeah. and say, well, what if it went really badly? What if this didn't lead to peace? What if this led to resentment and isolationism yeah. and nationalism? And you suddenly have a Captain Picard who doesn't like what Starfleet is becoming. It's not becoming 1984. Right. But it's becoming something a bit uglier and pettier than he wants to. People still live in a utopia, but it's a muddier utopia that he's not comfortable with. It's an interesting one of the interesting things is is how it's the utopia has become muddied a bit was the the scene that I was told beforehand I was really going to dislike was the interview scene. And I've only seen the first episode right now um, was the interview scene. Uh, And I was told it was going to be uh, very Fox Newsy. And I saw it and I'm like. Well, this is obviously an inter- an interviewer with uh with a bone to pick and wants to wants to get the dirt out and wants you know wants that Pulitzer or whatever, um. But it didn't seem completely backwards. Can't even pay attention to facts. What Fox News is up to these days, uh. I you know big surprise there. Um. But then I got I'm I'm driving home from class to meet up with some teachers, and. And I get a phone call from Mike after I told him I saw it, and then you watched it. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, well, uh, and the thing, the first thing you told me is, is I'm like, and I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm like, and, and I'm, we're talking back and forth about it. I'm like, yeah, maybe it's not, you know, and you, and you say, well, I've been told it's kind of a post-Brexit Star Trek. Yes, it yeah. is. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, if you make that interviewer not Fox, but Sky News, yeah. <laughs> it makes way more sense. Sure. Like, okay, I get it now. Okay, that fits. It's a right-wing prick who's read a book. Right, but is willing, <laughs> when somebody lands a good point, they'll go, uh, oh, yeah. okay. They'll concede something once in a while. Yeah. I mean, that was, to me, To me, I think that there's two elements of the the first, the, the, the world-building setup of that they're wanting to tell you about what has happened to the Federation. Obviously, that whole interview was just like a big exposition dump. Absolutely. Like, what has happened to Earth in the last 30 years or something? And they give you, like, those graphics where they're like, oh, my gosh, we're seeing Mars being blown up or something. And then there's the other bit that is sort of like this beginning of a weird, twisty mystery around who's this mysterious girl that I think is really super ham-fisted and ridiculous and sort of shows the seams of... Akiva but, Goldsman's super, super fucking ham-fisted I don't ability mind of plotting, it, though, is the thing. I think it still kind of works on me, and I and it, again, it, it, that doesn't bother me as much because I think there's more to go, and there's a second season. Yeah. So it, but I, I, thought, I, I have the feeling. I just have the feeling that it's like you can, the dialogue gets pretty crummy, and you have Picard doing a lot of like, just doing a lot of like one or two word like responses to things, and. Not we don't get as much we don't get as much to have the thing that I think is great is until the second episode actually which is let Picard talk right because he's a negotiator not an action hero and they do they do this really well by making it so when there is an action scene he's like hiding <laughs> he's yeah. like Picard is not old enough there's to a kick, scene he's not the, young enough to kick ass anymore there's a scene in the first episode where he has to run up yeah. some stairs and yeah. he is clearly winded he and, is an older man the fact that he's winded is kind of a plot point yeah, yeah. uh and what i liked okay the two things that i liked about about the first episode is is one very little of it actually takes place in space yeah, a lot of Earth. A yeah. lot of Earth. And none of it really takes place aboard a spaceship. And I find myself um, ruining the, like, I, I'm, I'm afraid of what happens 
from the trailers of when it starts being Star Trek. But I'm going to tell myself the admonition I was about to give you with the the who is the mystery woman timeline, mm-hmm. which is totally right. ham-fisted and cheap, yeah. granted. But isn't Star Trek, isn't sort of the the... the the sort of the signature of Star Trek doing something worthwhile with something hideously cheesy. Yeah, I, I'll definitely, I'll definitely cop to that for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my the thing that might generate that is I feel like the idea of seeing Dodge blown up or something is kind of the idea of a trailer moment. It's kind of like Chewbacca being blown up, sort of thing. Which but are not just really like, blown like up. Stakes, yeah, yeah. Like, oh my god, the stakes. Oh my god, it's so different. And then this show gives you in the first episode a reason to be like, okay, well, there was two of them, so it's fine. But I, right? I don't mind that one as much because now we have a person who doesn't know they're in Star Trek Picard, which might be right. kind of interesting. And now, though, he's the exposition character rather than the person learning, and he can't really tell them that much. Right. And it makes it a mystery for everybody. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm happy with it so far, and I think that sort of crazy action track. The thing that holds it back is it is Picard. What are Picard's strengths? What are the things that make him who he is? And also, what can he do when his character is in his nineties? Right. Um, and, not as and much. maybe when he's not commanding like an incredibly advanced, powerful starship. Yeah. Right. And I think uh, the thing that really gives me the most hope about Picard, the the show, but also the character, is that it's not a massive reunion show. No. no. That from what I understand, there is a single episode where Riker and Troy show up. Okay. Later in the season. Um, Seven of Nine becomes a character near the end of the season. But other than that, uh, and the, the and data, data, the data yeah. cameo, apparently he's just in that first episode. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So he's not going to appear again, uh, as far as we know. So this is not doing the, hey, oh, and they're back, and they're back, and they're back. And I guess the explanation they sort of given for why they're not all coming back right away, character-wise, in, in universe, is they've, the writers have said, well, if Picard asked them to come back, they would. And that's why he's not asking them to come back, because he doesn't want to put them in danger. Okay. And I kind of like the idea of suddenly he doesn't have this rank that he can use to you know, open doors now. He's, he's out of it. He doesn't have a crew. He doesn't have a starship he can take somewhere. So the thing that made him powerful isn't there anymore, but the thing that made him special still is. Yeah, he's not completely powerless. Like, he walks into... Um, he walks into to Starfleet in San Francisco, and there's still some def- some deference uh, uh, played to the character. And one of the things that I really... Or given to the character. One of the things I, I did like, though, is... Okay, Starfleet has taken has has taken an inward turn. Uh it is sort of a muddy utopia. But you go to Starfleet and it's there there's still nice people there. There's still people doing research. There's still uh you know, it, it the world didn't turn to crap in 2 minutes, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not the dark timeline of Star Trek. It's just yeah. can can I make some mention before I forget it is that this this first show has Romulan Blade Runners in it. <laughs> yeah, it does have Romulan Blade Runners. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't yeah. feel like the Romulans are the they're, secret bad guys. They're it synthetics, just... and you can't tell them from other robots because they have flesh and blood. That's so. True. What makes them different? Well, that's the 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 question. Is the point is always the something quest. something toasters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, their feelings, Mike. Their feelings. I, now, Sam and I talked about this, but I want to bring you into this too, Casey. Um, and it's been something in sci-fi fandom that Sam and I have both noticed. 
Um, there are two different kinds of fans when it comes to talking about science fiction that involves artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. There are people who just go, oh, he's not really have feelings. It's just he's <laughs> he's acting out a program or something like that. Or, you know, like, who cares? It's just a robot. And that's weirdly prevalent nowadays. I've never ran into it before. But then there's people like me who I'm like, of course, R2-D2 is a person. It doesn't right. matter that he doesn't have a face. <laughs> you know, he could, no, that robot that's getting his feet burned in Return of the Jedi <laughs> feels pain. Yeah, clearly. I can, I can bestow sentience in my head on all sorts of robot critters that don't have to look indistinguishable from humans. But I've noticed that there are a lot of sci-fi fans that I've bumped into. I'm not going to say a majority. It's not. But people are like, yeah, I just, I'm just i not buying into this thing about treating them. As, it's like I, I'm a little scared of of this. And I just I, – I have no problem saying that Johnny Five is alive. <laughs> yeah, it, like people saying oh. – like people literally falling uh, – like, like buying the argument that that – that thing is not feeling pain it's feeling simulated pain it's not it's not feeling grief it's feeling simulated grief it's it's like okay um how you know now we have to go into the the one of my most hated conversations the philosophical zombie conversation yeah. is what's what's the functional difference between simulated pain and actual pain uh, from from an external perspective, and it's it's um, and I, I think this might be a religious argument in disguise. Where mm-hmm. uh, I don't believe. I mean, hey, I, I I do this show about where I talk about where I'm not. Except I don't actually ever talk about atheism anymore. Let's be honest. <laughs> we're but, talking about souls. Yeah, right? we're yeah. talking about souls. Yeah, uh, where where I I'm not. I don't need you to pass some sort of biological entrance entrance exam in order to get a driver's license. Yeah. I mean, like I'm willing to equi- like to give personhood to anything that that specifically asks for it. You know what I mean? Anything that feels and thinks. And it's yeah. it was there's actually a line in the the episode of Star Trek the Next Generation, The Measure of a Man, mm-hmm. the one that's the court case that gives data sentient which, rights to the Federation. Which they reference Bruce Maddox as a character in Picard actually. So that at least is I think the conne- I'm hoping he shows up. I hope he does too. I mean that's at least is a connection where not because Bruce, Bruce Maddox being Bruce Maddox is the guy who wanted to disassemble data oh, okay. and was willing and to tr- tried get to him argue that he was a piece of property of yeah. Starfleet. And throughout that episode, the thing I like about Bruce Maddox as a character is that Bruce Maddox is a guy who started out with it's an it. Right. And throughout the court case, he keeps referring to data as it. And only at the end does he call him he. That he it's it's a show about respecting people's fucking pronouns. Right. But um, <laughs> but there's this moment where the judge um is giving her summation and she says, well, we're, we're dancing around the question. Does data have a soul? I don't know. I don't know if I do. Right. And that's, that's where I am. I don't think I have a soul, but I don't think I need a soul to be a person. Yeah. And this is one of those points where if I were on my show, I'd say, now there's going to be a bunch of people coming out of the woodwork where I'm going to write a shell script that says, I have a soul, grant me rights. Does that mean that? Shut up! Yeah. No! I, it doesn't matter. that there's It's a- just too easy in sci-fi, though, to make them make robots easy villains i'm just thinking of like episode one and two of star wars where instead of the idea of making a kid-friendly story where you have just like hundreds of thousands of biological creatures that have to be mown down by jedi and republic troops or whatever you just make them these 
goofy Looney Tunes Keystone Cops robots. Those robots look, by the way, like the Far Side chickens, and I can't not see it. <laughs> oh, you've forever changed my brain. That's amazing. But, uh, roger, but, Roger. Yeah. But it just makes it easier in a sci-fi show if you're going to have something be demolished with a laser blast for it to be a robot because you don't have to worry about the sort of thematic implications of seeing a body just fucking explode. Well, because if, even if we went with non-sentient animals, the pain dynamic is still there. True. Where... You know this. Uh, we're we're this computer that we're recording onto right now probably doesn't experience pain, even though it could be conceivably complex, more complex than some animals. So it's easy for te- to use technology technology things, um, widgets in a narrative as disposable pain free entities that can easily be killed with a laser sword. Yeah. Um. It just means that the transition for uh, uh, uh the transition from giving something no rights to giving something you know, human rights uh, is is much sharper when it comes to technology than it does to biological creatures. And it's even true when you look at like the Star Wars universe. We have sort of a a, a slave universe, right? Where they refit the the droids refer to their owners as masters, right? They are had we are fitted with restraining bolts that stop them from being able to leave or just shut them down if they misbehave. Um, they are frequently disrespected and beaten up. At the end of the first Star Wars, one of the most shocking things I've ever seen a good guy character do is that R2-D2 got shot in the head by Darth Vader at the end of that movie, and uh, as they're landing, after they blow up the Death Star, everyone's happy, everyone's smiling, and not C-3PO. C-3PO is feeling pain because it looks like his friend died, and he's saying, oh my god, my friend, oh R2, is he okay? I'll donate parts from me to fix him. (laughs) And Luke just goes, he'll be okay. And then they walk away, (laughs) smiling. The the casualness (laughs) that Star Wars approaches this thing, uh, even in the later films, has always weirded me out a little bit. But, uh, you know, that's not one I'm going to make a big deal on. I'm just going to go, Shrug. Okay, yeah. not you know, not my well, circus. In, in Star Trek Picard, the synthetics are most assuredly the stand-in for immigrants, refugees, yeah. people of a different skin color. Because I mean, that's obviously what they're trying to sell. And I think that the central piece of that is maybe the hardest. Uh, clearly, it's probably evoked the most sort of fan gripes, internet gripes about it being, uh, why don't, why doesn't Star Trek stay out of politics, which is which the is most, the stupidest yeah, this, yes, thing which is h- why does it hilarious. have to be about space <laughs> actually, yeah, I got that uh, we, we, we had a big, like a big fucking to do on the Dune uh, shitposting groups, which is like the only reason I use Facebook now no, okay, everything on my Facebook is either Dune shitposting kittens, or stuff about uh you know, kids in in jail or in internment camps Oof. here in the United States. So my my social media interface is a complete emotional whiplash now. <laughs> um, but we got uh, we got uh, this big because like we got one of those usual white supremacist invasions you get on your standard. Oh no, 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 fuck! No. And and then you have this group of people who. Uh, who are saying, why are we fighting with these people? Why are we engaging? But Why are we blocking these people? What does politics have to do with Dune? <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking serious? 
And so I made this graphic that says, did you know the Bene Gesserit are sex nuns with political science degrees? <laughs> like, that's what, this, that's what this is about. It's about an oppressed people rising up and becoming dictators of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> that's what this is about. You know, not that there isn't any obvious oil metaphors in no. Dune. No shit. Ah. No fucking shit. Literally invented the phrase hydraulic despotism. Mm. It's, a, it's a phrase in political science. But, but this is what we get over and over again is that these are people who watched the thing as a kid. It went over their head and now they they've grandfathered it in and they're so dense that they don't pick it up as adults. But when the new stuff comes out, suddenly they notice that it sounds like the bad guys are them. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not. I guess my complaint isn't the fact that Star Trek is woke like because Star Trek an, has always been yeah, woke, except it, when it came to women in the original right, series. Right, right. I mean, you can't look at the thing where Frank Gorshin is painted half black and half white and not be like hmm this isn't this isn't a political allegory for anything um my my thing is just like well whenever if you were on star trek the next generation and you wanted to have a story about mistreating refugees you have the one like roland yeah right you have that's the way you tell the story because there are people that are saying this that starfleet is saying we can help you like we don't care about like the things that the Cardassians say about you, we don't we don't look down on you as being refugees. We'll take you um, because that's what the Federation actually is. Uh, so if you were going to tell a story about people becoming xenophobic, people getting scared and scaling back their openness in society, it isn't Starfleet that's doing it. It's somebody else who is a friend of Starfleet who would is kind of trying to follow in the footsteps of what for Starfleet represents the Federation rather the Federation represents and then curls their sort of feelers back because they have an attack or they have some kind of scare and the Starfleet comes and helps them out with the situation and they learn the lesson. The problem with it becoming close to home is it becomes vulnerable in the same way that we are supposed to be that they're supposed to be invulnerable. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, follows a lot of the trend of science fiction which you say all the time which is you just can't believe that a government can possibly be good yeah but i think the thing that i like with picard is that it isn't the sense that some evil you know admiral took over starfleet and made them bigoted don't be so sure uh, I'm bet I'm betting it. I think what I get the impression I get is that it wouldn't just stop there. We're we're looking at a world in Picard, where general public sentiment. Yeah, turned if, in. if it ends up that we have some admiral who's making Starfleet be a knob, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be significantly kind of ejected from the story. I don't know enough that I'll enough that I'll stop watching it because I I found the character development I, I found the first episode really compelling, but um. And here's where I'm going to show you. Uh, but it's the same kind of stupid blindness that you hear like Joe Biden saying. It's like, you just had to get rid of Trump and these guys who were hypnotized won't be hypnotized anymore. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it, like, no, they were pieces of shit before Trump. They'll be pieces of shit after Trump. We shouldn't pretend this that a figurehead is the reason that people are being bad right now. This isn't the last Starfighter. Once we blow up the bad guy's <laughs> ship, it, it's not like peace returns to the land. Yeah. Um, Or the galaxy, I guess. Uh, But really the land. Um, <laughs> uh. You know, and and so again, to go into the stuff about Star Trek that I'm not technically not supposed to know, I always found Section Thirty One really lame. 
and they and then as we would have, we had a discussion on a DS9 panel is um, that uh, Siskoid said they tend to overuse Section 31 a lot now because every time a new set of writers wants to do something like oh my god they're we're gonna make it dark and violent they're like well we're gonna throw Section 31 in. It's frustrating to me that that's the only piece of DS9 that other writers want to use. Yeah, yeah. Is. there's I, so much there for for a. For a, a moment in time, I thought Section 31 were the people trying to attack Dodge and her boyfriend at the beginning. And I was like, oh, clearly, was, clearly it's Section 31. certain that's what it was going to be. Still, they still could be Section 31 because they yeah, could they just could be, be Romulan agents working for Section 31. Yeah. And and uh, and that was like, it's like, okay, and this is going to be a dumb thing. It's not going to be a dumb thing. I wasn't expecting them to be Romulans. I was expecting them to just be absolutely directly Starfleet agents. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there's even that level of separation, it's already exceeded my expectations of dumbness. Okay. So <laughs> I, that's what I wanted to avoid because we've done two out of three of the new Star Trek movies involve a Star Trek commander gone bad. You know, mm-hmm. somebody from Starfleet who doesn't like the utopia and wants to go to war because war make us makes us strong. And I'm I want to avoid that. I'd like the idea of it just being general sentiment that we get caught up in something that the fact that something awful happens to someone that we used to be afraid of just turns our heart off to the level that you get the lady who's interviewing Picard, that that's the problem, not some general. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact is that that's what you get. And it's that same banality of evil bullshit. I saw, you know, what is the name of that, that flu that's happening in China right now? Uh, Coronavirus. Coronavirus. Yeah. So, um, there was a tweet that was getting passed around and screenshotted of this lady going, well, what? They're bringing people back from China on a plane. We need to shoot that civilian airline down. Yeah. And people are like, whoa, what are we talking about? The the thing that makes, makes countries go to shit is not some horrible charismatic leader. It's all the normal people like that who look like some lady in line at the co-op who is willing to let somebody else do something fucking horrible in her name. She doesn't have to pull the trigger. She doesn't have to push the button. She doesn't do anything. But she's happy to let those people die. And that's truly the banality of evil. A consequence-free free demand for lifeboat rule sets yeah. is mm-hmm. so dangerous. And when you see that, and that's what I really see happening with that that interviewer, is that she says Romulan lives and mm-hmm. she just like they're not worth as much as federation lives and picard sees no difference no people needed our help it doesn't matter how many times i've been on the bridge looking at the screen and trying to get ourselves out of going to war with you know commander tomalock yeah i've got i've gotten into fights i have been captured and tortured by these people before i have been shot at i've been in situations where it looks like they would kill me but when they're going to be murdered, I will be there to save them because I am not going to let their morality define my morality. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a recent Star Trek where that statement could be made and have it be an integral point, like an integral point. True. You know what I mean? Uh, not that I not that I disliked. Actually, I haven't seen. I've only seen the first one. I kind of liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, was it like, did it have the, like the intelligence that one expects of Star Trek? No. Was it fun? Yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, I've been a little hesitant to see the other ones because, uh, one of them apparently was just bad. And then the other one was just Wrath of Khan writ large or writ expensive. Those are the same one. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. The third one is the one that I think is actually pretty good. It works as a standalone movie. Okay. Um, and it has one of those elements we don't like, which is the bad guy spoilers is, 
actually not an alien. He's been sort of altered to live on this planet. And he is a lost, you know, literally both not just physically lost, but also morally lost Starfleet commander who got stranded there and has become embittered by it. Right. But he's Idris Elba and Idris Elba is always awesome. Okay, sold. Yeah. Yeah, that's an easy one. So, yeah, I mean, it's there is stuff there. And I think that ultimately what I want in Star Trek is I want optimism to win out. That Me I don't, too. I don't want – you can do a dark story, and we've used the example of Captain America Winter Soldier for this, is that the world can have dark things, but the hero is the thing that changes the world. That is sort of the moral light that pushes that darkness back. Um, in Captain America Winter Soldier, uh, both Black Widow and Nick Fury are way more cynical, way more dark than Captain America to the point that they hide things from him. And he ultimately changes their mind over the course of that series and says, no, we have to represent something better than this. But you don't even have to get into <sighs> superhero movies to uh, to to experience uh, to experience a dark story taking place in in a utopian timeline or, or or a positive place it's like that the whole the original borg timeline was precisely that an alien race just sort of an outside context problem just shows up and murders half of starfleet mm-hmm. at, in one battle yeah. and and then grabs the captain of the flagship of starfleet and turns him into like their guy and, uh, you know, comes up and goes, whoa, 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 and then now he works for them. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, like, that, and that, that's what Star Trek had. That's what Next Generation had. It's, it's in, it's in the story. It's already there. So, I, I, I did Seven of Nine ever actually work with Picard? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, know they, were, I think they were ever on an episode okay. together. Yeah. I will that's say this as a, as a Star Trek person. I, I like Star Trek. I always want new Star Trek. I tried with Voyager. Yeah. I really tried, and uh, my beef with that show isn't the cast, uh, it isn't the characters. Well, maybe it's a little bit Chakotay. It's the woman captain, isn't it, Mike? No. <laughs> um, I I actually like um, I actually like Mulgrew as um, as Catherine Janeway. I think that she could be. She just she has failed by her writers. Yeah, yeah, and oh, I think that's what happens over and over again. Is that uh, Star Trek Voyager is a show that could be so much better than what it is. Um, the fact that half the crew is Maquis and just assimilates into, we want to talk about the Borg. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, they assimilate into the Starfleet crew, are wearing their uniforms, where that should be a moment of contention that lasts the entirety of the series, that half of, like maybe a third of your crew are basically former pirates. Um they do not feel as comfortable in that. And the weird thing is all the ways I found myself fi- trying to quote unquote fix Star Trek Voyager, I was just turning it into Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> that every single well, way. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> um, the two things that I would change, and this is nothing that nobody else has, hasn't already said before, so I can't take credit for any of this. Um, uh, replace Chakotay with uh, Ensign Rolaren. Because she has a foot in both Starfleet and in um, the Maquis. And, and Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And she was <laughs> yes. in Battlestar, yeah. It's true. And uh, the other one is um, just make Tom Paris Nick Locarno from that episode of TNG and yeah. give that, just fucking pay that writer. Make, make, make it the same character because his arc means the same, right? It means exactly the same. Yes. You don't have to change anything about him. Yep. But it just means more. And you have to pay somebody royalties. 
Um, so yeah, those are the things. But I think Rolaren is one. I think, of course, um, Michelle Forbes is is incredible, mm-hmm. and I think she has an intensity that she brings to things that is better than Robert Beltran, and maybe he's good in other things, but. It just it feels like somebody slapped a, a communicator badge on a block of wood, and <laughs> it's just he's not interesting. Voyager and never held my interest. I want at to, all. So this is Voyager is the is the series I know the least about. It's the it's the one that I could not make it to the end. The, the I, I, I watched like five episodes. I really tried because I'm like, oh, new Star Trek I haven't seen oh. before. But it's I, like the I watched old- more than that. But certainly during its original run, I was like, ah, uh, this is not keeping my interest. The so. only character who is well served enough by the writers that they felt like they were brought to their potential was the doctor mm-hmm. so that was the only person because robert picardo was amazing but it just felt like how and much better would the show be with amazing writers that wanted to take risks instead of just being safe and i think that every member of this cast would have been able to totally live up to that and it would have been great yeah. but so we just spend the end of the episode shitting on Voyager? That's, that's how we end? <laughs> that's the whole episode! Okay. No, I don't. <laughs> Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Final two minutes. Quite the cheering section. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some moms that come out to support the kids. Except there seem to be more moms than kids. Way more moms. <laughs> yeah, it's a big soccer town. Let's go, girls! So your intel was spot on. That Damocles 7 EMP weapon that went missing in the Gulf. Arms dealers from the Liberation Front have it in Berlin. This thing can wipe out an entire electrical grid in a major city. No lights, no power, instant Stone Age. Chloe, Maya, you can't let her run by you like that. Let's go, let's go. This is the Class 4 WMD. Do you have any idea what's at stake here? Yes, I know exactly what is at stake here, okay? If the pink butterflies beat my red dragons, that means we lose the championship. Which means I have 20 little girls who are crying, and that's not a good thing. Which then means I have to spend a lot of time in ice cream shops and a lot of time at Tay-Tay concerts. Taylor Swift. Gotta be shitting me. Get it together. Let's go, girls. We need you to do this. It's a lot of lives at stake. But I need to be clear here. The U.S. government cannot sanction this operation in any way. You're on your own. This thing goes sideways. You don't just get burned. 
You go to prison. And there's nothing we can do to get you out. Let me tell you something. The only thing that I love more than saving lives is my daughter. So if you don't shut up with this government bullshit right now and start showing some team spirit and respect for the Red Dragons, I'm gonna have all 20 of them line up and kick you right in the Tay-Tay. Go Dragons! Say it again. Go Dragons! Oh boy. Go Dragons. Go Dragons. <laughs>